Hi, everybody. Uh, what a sweet morning we've had so far. This is awesome. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the student ministry pastor here at North Shore, one of the teaching team. And our passage this morning, very short as we reach the end of the uh, armor of God portion that we've zeroed in on through this series on a worthy walk. Uh, and it's just simply the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I believe uh, that this is a complicated topic. I think it is unfortunately an abused topic. I think it is one of the most important conversations for the church today. Um, so if you would uh, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you need one, raise your hand and the Bible bros will get you uh, one of those. Um, and here we go. Uh, and, and I said all that because the, the metaphors for the Word of God in the Bible, and there are a bunch, the, the Word of God throughout Scripture is referred to or compared to a bunch of different things. A light, a seed, a lamp, the rain, a mirror, um, honey. But today we don't get that. We get a sword. And I don't know uh, if you've ever, how many of you have ever had a job or a class or uh, done an activity where you had to handle dangerous objects, dangerous materials? Some of you have worked there. Um, my closest was when I was 19 or maybe 20, I became my uh, Bible camp's first ever paintball course coordinator. And so uh, they trusted me, a 20-year-old, to give paintball guns to 12-year-olds, which is a ridiculous business model, but we did it. And so I'm thinking through that kind of uh, uh, safety instruction. The very first thing, right, when we give the paintball gun is do not point this at somebody. <laughs> Here's your gun. Don't do literally anything with it until I'm done talking about it. That's kind of what I am picturing as we look at this idea. The Word of God is compared for us in God's uh, providential will this morning to a sword. It is a dangerous material. And so there are things as you learn about handling things that are potentially dangerous uh, to avoid. Uh, you learn about what it is. And then finally, you learn how to use it. And so in that um, I, I wanted to start with, with this, uh, the, the things to avoid, the danger therein, but we learn, first of all, this is not your sword. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, as part of the armor of God, that this is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not your sword. And I say all that because... In, in this very passage that we've spent six, seven weeks, uh, there is language of fighting, of warfare. And it's not just here. It's, it's pretty frequent throughout Scripture and God's plan that there is language of a battle or battles or of a struggle or something like that. And it's part of God's plan for the church but it's not your sword. And you're not fighting whom 
I think it is very easy to confuse who you might be fighting. <laughs> the enemy might not be who you think the enemy is. So here again, the introduction to this section. We've slowed down uh, lately at North Shore with the, with the specific parts of the armor of God, but if you remember back when we started this, uh, th this little magnification here, it, it began in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. So here just once again, the intro to this, this uh, paragraph, this passage, this very coherent idea. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So I have uh, three different passages this morning to look at this thing that, that God has prepared for us, this sword of the Spirit. And, and this is the first one where we uh, are here in Ephesians 6. And so I would just simply make some observations with what we just read. A word kept popping up, stand. And it was in there four different times with some supporting words uh, against it. But that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, we wrestle against rulers and authorities. We uh, withstand the, in the evil day. We stand firm. And then as the armor of God begins at the first word of verse 14, stand therefore. So I think we're on the right track. This is a fight. However, it's not with your sword. Additionally, none of it is your own armor. It is not mine. It does not, I do not possess it. Paul writes for us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And we are called here to put on the armor of God. So what we're talking about belongs to the Lord. This is about God's strength and God's stuff. And that's always been important over the last five, six weeks, but it's especially important now because we're talking about a sword. We have seven different pieces of armor they're all defensive, things you wear, things that protect you, things that uh, we put on. Seven different defensive pieces of armor and one offensive weapon, one sword. And it's named for us in Ephesians 6. It's named the Word of God. We have an identity for it. We have uh, uh, the beginning of an understanding of what it is. It is the Word of God. Now, I think this conversation is particularly interesting because of the language and imagery that that brings up, especially in reference to what we've been spending time with over the last few weeks. People don't flail around their shoes of peace, whacking each other. <laughs> but a sword? That, that, that connotates something different. 
It has a different identity, a different purpose, a different use. Imperfect people have done significant and unfortunate damage with their words and actions, all in the name of a word from God that they've received or that they've properly understood because their opinion is backed by the word of God. And that's, I don't believe, what we're called to. I was thinking through that picture of this, this thing that has incredible power and how to use it or to be careful with it. And, and um, the, the uh, Lord of the Rings series was brought to mind as I was contemplating this. And this is not a perfect metaphor, but there is a significant imagery wrapped up in the Lord of the Rings in the ring itself and how other people responded to it. If you read those books, watch those movies, there are a whole lot of conversations that take place around this really small item. People are terrified of it. People want it. People say, it's a weapon and we must use it. And then one of the great heroes throughout the trilogy, Gandalf, will not take the ring. He says, because with it, I could do incredible damage. And so we have this this potentially dangerous thing that God has, but he reminds us at the beginning of this in verses 11 and 12 and 13, the fight is not against people, and it is specifically against the schemes of the devil. At the end of verse 11, we are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. The word of God is not for smashing people. It's not for looking smart on Facebook. It's not a license to say whatever you want. It has a specific and potentially deadly purpose. And so to figure out what this is, um, I thought of another place where I think the word of God is, is demonstrated very clearly in scripture. And so our second verse to help us with this this morning is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and, and, and what I would gain from this is that this is a life-changing sword, not a life-ending sword. a verse that I have appreciated very well uh, for a long time. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So kind of in your safety class, right, point number one is this thing uh, is dangerous. Don't point it at anybody. Point number two, you begin to learn more about what the thing actually is. And so as we're, uh, you know, my job of giving the paintball gun to small people after we've made sure they're not pointing it, we explain what a safety is, how the trigger works, some facts about it. And so you begin to understand what it is so you appreciate it more and are growing closer to learning uh, how to properly use it. So just again, some observations about this here, uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12. I think the Bible defines God's word by describing what God's word does. 
And so that's what we have here. We have a very interesting description of what God's word accomplishes. It is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Sharper than a very sharp, precise sword. The word of God throughout all scripture refers to generally two different things. It refers both to the times when God speaks to someone, when God uses his words to convey a message just like how you and I would. The word of God could be something that God says in a particular way to a particular person. It also refers to the scriptures themselves. Throughout the whole Bible, that is what the word of God refers to. And I think we see both applications of that here. God's word is alive. It is effective. He still speaks. We don't believe we worship and follow a God who has nothing to say. We don't believe we, we worship and follow a God who uh, never talks to us. That his word is alive. It is effective. If you've ever encountered God through prayer, um, or as we've seen already today, uh, in different ways where his Holy Spirit uh, comes upon us through conviction. For so many of us in this room, we've had that experience where we've seen God speak something worth listening to. But the Bible is these things. It is alive, it is active, it is sharp. And here's the description of how God's word operates it, it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The divine word cuts all the way to two very different and very intentional parallels. First, it cuts to the division of soul and spirit. Those are the things within us that are so foundational and yet mysterious that they're hard to describe, right? It's, it's difficult to put a good definition on a soul and a spirit, but you know what those things refer to, that deep core of who we are, your emotions, your mentality, your, uh, the, the, your thoughts, that which makes you you. And so the divine word cuts all the way to the inner person, the personality, the spirit, the emotions, the heart, whatever you want to put there. It also cuts to uh, joints and marrow. Those are the very, very deep things that connect our physical bodies together. They are well within us. They are essential for our bodies to function. And so what Hebrews is saying is that the word of God cuts all the way to the deepest parts of the whole person. The word of God speaks to who we truly are at the deepest level. And so I, I, I would say this about the word of God, is that it cuts deep and it discerns things that are not easily discernible. Those two are things that I've personally experienced from both the Holy Spirit speaking to me and from the Bible itself. 
I believe God has accomplished that in my life of discerning something that's not easily discernible and getting down to something deep about myself. So what do we care about this this word of God that cuts deep and discerns things? I think this is life-changing power in two ways. First, it reveals about you what you need to know in order to change. Hear that. The word of God has the ability to tell you what needs to change. I know that you felt this because this is a universal human reality. We've all felt this. One of the sharpest pains that we feel is when somebody you respect, somebody you trust, somebody you love, tells you something that's true of you and you wish it wasn't. That's a sting. When somebody says, you are like this, and you know that they're right, and you want to change that, that's a deep cut. Now, if it came from a different source, maybe not. And if they were off by a little bit, maybe not. But when it's true and you know it and you wish you could change, that's a deep cut. But the Word of God is the only thing that for so many of us pierced through the sin and denial to reveal without doubt that I need a Savior. Word of God did that. It peeled away things. It it broke through walls. And it still continues to do that, and it still can do that. The sword of God's Holy Spirit cuts to the core, and that's good, and it's life-changing. It is the process of being made right, made vulnerable, made available to the, the, the life-giving power of God. I think the second thing that it does is it cuts through and it reveals the lies of the devil that we need to defeat. Remember what all of this is, is couched in, this, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but our fight is against the schemes of the devil, And in that and against that enemy who is the father of lies, it is good to have something that can cut through. That can reveal what is true and what is untrue so that we can go in confidence knowing which is the right path. What it is that I should believe in. So we have this sword on loan. It's not ours. It's God's sword. And we kind of know what it is. But I am also curious in how to use it. And for that, I think a third passage is helpful. Um, This has been one of my favorite parts of Scripture in the last couple months. Very small book in the back of our Bible, the book of Jude, which has only one chapter, and a fascinating little introduction to the book of Jude Uh, Verse 3. 
And it reads, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so this is the part of the safety lesson when you begin to, to gain mastery over the thing. So you know what to avoid, you know what it is, and then you begin to learn how to use it. What do you do with this thing that you've been given? And Jude says for us here to contend. Now Scott actually presented this very idea last week, uh, and he did an incredible job with it. This is a really, really valuable biblical truth, and it's simply this. Just because the assurance of victory is given, right? We know who the winner is, and it's Jesus Christ. He's won hearts. He's won minds. He's won people. He's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. He's promised life eternal. Jesus Christ is the victor, but here's the biblical truth worth holding on to. Just because assurance of victory is there, doesn't mean there's no fight. In fact, there very much is a fight. And you're like, how can that be? Well, I think of it this way. In, in any great movie where there's a battle, any movie where there's a great battle, there's two things that happen generally towards the end. Right? There's the speech. And then there's what they do after that. So I mentioned already Lord of the Rings, there's Avengers, there's Independence Day, there's Remember the Titans, whatever it is, whenever there's a great and worthy battle, the coach, the commander, the general, whoever, gives the speech, and he says, we're going to win. I know we're going to win. And the movie's not over. <laughs> they still got to go do the fight. They got to go have the battle. Leader says, we're going to win. Everybody doesn't just give up and walk home at that point. There's still the fight. And this is why I've come to believe that it is the duty of every genuine believer to contend for the faith. It is the duty of every genuine believer to contend for the faith. So again, just a couple simple observations from, from this verse as we package all this together. What does, what does Jude mean for us here in verse three? Well, the first observation I make is that there is a faith. We use that word in two different ways, and as we looked at shield of faith a little while ago, uh, Sanjay explained one of those as, as in the, the feeling we have, the, the belief that we place, right? I have faith in Jesus Christ. There's that element of it. We also use the word to talk about the body of beliefs that someone holds as part of something. There is the Christian faith. There is that. And that's what's being talked about in this passage. There is a faith, not faiths. There's one. The Bible's over. We're not adding more to it. It's here for us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. 
There is one story about the creator of the universe and his son sent for us that is so deeply true and accessible that it does not matter if you're young, old, black, Arabic, female, male, Democrat, lived in the 1700s, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's one story. There's one God. There's one Jesus Christ. There's one Holy Spirit. There is one way to God through Jesus Christ because of the grace that he has given us. Now, when we said at the beginning of this that this is a fight against the schemes of the devil, the lies of the devil, I think it comes in right here more than anywhere else. And there are other places, but right here is such a battle today. When we say that there is a faith, immediately we're reminded of messages all around us that say, really? Only one? Are you sure? And how do you know it's yours? The lies of Satan come in right here. And for, for me and what I've seen um, in j 10 or so years of, of being around the church, there are two ways that Satan tries to twist this. And one is that the gospel doesn't mean that makes it very hard to make any kind of strong claim from Scripture when alongside comes a voice that says, that's not, that's not really what the gospel is about. It doesn't actually mean that. It has to mean something else. Something else would be better for it to mean. And the second might be, sure, 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 that's fine. What you believe is good. But some of this other stuff is good too. Or, or even for those of us that have been around the church a long time, the lie is Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. But focus on something else for sure. Focus on that political movement. Focus on this terminology. Focus on this book. Focus on something, something, something besides Jesus. And after a while, we might have a faith, but it's pretty far down the priority list. And so we are called to contend. And the second observation that I would make from Jude verse 3 is that this faith is worth contending for. Jude says you should do it. I urge you to contend for the faith. It's worth contending for. And just a simple illustration of why. It's true. It's God's gospel. And if that's true, then we're talking about the eternal destination of people. And that's a thing that we can lose sight of. So, little story, this is silly, um, but say our, our beloved Don Schwad up here uh, has a, a moment and he's on YouTube a little too deep and he's watching some videos and he comes to you and says, guys, I've, I've been doing my research. I don't think gravity's real. You're like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, I, I, I see that guy. Dalton came and helped me, or he showed me the TikToks and I watched this guy talking about a thing and he doesn't think gravity's real. I, I, I watched, I did a lot of research. I don't think gravity's real. 
And then Don has a day one day, and he goes and remembers where the uh, administrative closet is with the ladder that goes up to the roof here at North Shore. If you've seen our building, that's a tall roof. And Don says, trust me, gravity's not real. I'm going to show you. And he goes to the edge of the roof because Don believes that gravity is not real. If you are on the roof, what's your responsibility to Don Schwab? Now, here's the deal. What's your responsibility regardless of how genuinely Don believes that there's no gravity and regardless of how much you love Don and do not want to upset him, you do not want to damage that relationship. This ends badly. That's worth contending for. It's worth contending for. We are called to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints because if it's true, that changes everything. And the third thing I would like to observe from this is that it's to everyone. To contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, which is incidentally the same way that Jude writes this letter, to those who are called, beloved in God, and kept for Jesus Christ. It's not written to Timothy. It's not written to the elders. It's not written to pastors. It's written to anyone who believes in Jesus. To all of you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, contend for the faith. It's not for the pastors. It's not for the scholars. You Christian, if that is you this morning, contend for the faith. And in context with where we have been this morning, you must use the word of God to contend for the faith. So what is your next step with that? This cannot be done without familiarity of what God's word actually is. Familiarity with the word of God. Familiarity with the Bible itself. Familiarity with what God's voice sounds like through prayer. It cannot be done if your reliance on the word of God is through somebody else. And so three questions with our three passages as we look at this idea of the word of God and the sword of God's Holy Spirit, do you contend with the right weapon? Because it's easier to use a different weapon. It's easier to use my opinions. But do you contend with the right weapon? Do you contend the right enemy? Because it's easier to contend a different enemy. It's easier to fight the people who don't agree with me than it is to fight against the lies of the day for the sake of everyone in Jesus Christ. And the third question is, do you contend? Because it's easier not to. It is easier to let things pass, say someone else will do it. I believe that's good enough. I show up, that's good enough. Do you contend with the word of God against the schemes of the devil for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints.
take God's word seriously, it will change your life. If we take God's word seriously, through it, we can impact and change other lives. Let's pray. God, you have made accessible to us your very voice. But we uh, use our own and we listen to others far too often. God, I would ask this morning that you help instill in all of us a, a desire, a need to be led by your words. Let us not be a show of ourselves, but let us be your mouthpiece and help us to hear from you directly in all the different ways that you've made available to us. Thank you, God, that you speak. In your name we pray. Amen.